get started here. Uh, Sarah will join us in a couple of minutes. Her day job uh, was rude enough to to uh, inter, inter, in, interfere with uh, her scheduled podcast appearance. Like priorities. Come on, NBA people. Uh, this is Seth Partnow. This is the Call and Shots podcast. Uh, joined tonight, eventually, by um, Sarah Todd, the jazz beat writer for the Deseret. I think Deseret. That's one of those words you see written and never actually say. So never really sure if, how it's pronounced, but I think I got that right. I'll, I'll ask her when, when she comes back. Um, I guess while we're waiting for Sarah, just quick housekeeping. Um, I believe I have uh, Shemit Dua of uh, Bourbon Street Shots tomorrow to talk Pelicans, Nate Duncan on Thursday, and University of Wisconsin uh, professor of statistics, Samir Despande, who's done some pretty interesting uh, uh, basketball work, uh, sports work. Um, coming on Friday to talk um, metrics and predictive metrics and, and all that fun stuff on Friday. Uh, and then on Saturday, I'm doing a, my normal Q&A. Um, so if you've got any, any sort of NBA questions, preferably metrics-related, but I'll take them all, uh, shoot me a message here, Twitter, DM, um, email, tweet it at me, whatever. Uh, so Sarah's going to come on in a second, and we're going to talk about the jazz. I just... Um, We'll get into this with her, but I think this is a little bit of, a, of an end of an era uh, for Utah now, and it, it's unfortunate that it's, it's sort of uh, coming about with, with an injury. I don't think it's, I don't think, like, losing Joe Ingles um, kind of closes the book on anything for Utah this season, but it is um, almost reflective since since this era of the Jazz. He's kind of been a big part of, um, you know, a, a team kind of coming together that's a little bit greater than the sum of their parts, and then the seams between those parts uh, showing up in the postseason, um, as, as we've kind of seen for the last couple of years. But I will uh, talk to her about that, where the team is now, and, and really a, a really interesting inflection point for the franchise as well. I mean, obviously uh, was sold from the, the, the Miller family, the longtime owners, um, I believe about 18 months ago. I think I have the chronology right. Uh, and now a, a, a young a tech entrepreneur uh, fr- from the area, but still a young tech o- entrepreneur who owns the franchise. And and these kind of things have a way of just changing how things do, how places do business. And what has been sort of one of the most stable um, environments in the league um, is probably going through some change. And that's not to say it's it's in disarray or, or anything like that. It's just things are going to be done differently uh, over the next few years than they have over the last few. And that's always sort of an interesting time uh, in, in the life of a franchise. Uh, I I think we're the, the other thing to talk about, and I'll, I'll talk to Nate more about this on Thursday, is we're heading into the trade deadline. Uh, and it's really, the NBA needs a deadline to do anything. And... Um, this is a year where it kind of doesn't feel like much is going to happen, um, sort of in large part because the the big pieces that could move, that could sort of start the dominoes, um, probably aren't. And that's, you know, it's Ben Simmons, it's Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal. Those are kind of the biggest names. And then um, that that next level down, it doesn't really seem like, at least from, from the rumors, it doesn't really seem like there's a lot of difference-making players available. Um, depending on what you think about a player to, I think is 
a nice player, but isn't someone who is going to uh, swing a title necessarily. Especially given that it's really hard for the teams which he could make a difference for. I mean, I think if if you drop Jeremy Grant on like the Nets or the Bucks or something like that, that would be that would be a nice get. It just they don't really have neither of those teams, for example, has really any way to make that happen. Um, which without you know w- without making it pointless to do because if you're you're trading you know important pieces of your rotation out to get a similar piece in, you're just kind of creating disruption for its own sake. And most teams aren't big fans of that, and I think with good reason. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more moves that are sort of uh, shifting of financial deck chairs, maybe a few teams working a little bit to get themselves out of the tax. The, um, the There's enough teams deep into the tax that that first tax dollar is actually worth, I don't know, um, it could be worth up to about $10 million. In, in actual dollars, because if you're under the tax, you get you get disbursements, and and I think that the 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 total tax the league is going to pay is going to be well into the well into to nine figures. So just getting that little bit out of the tax, and it's like okay, well, it's the, these teams make a lot of money, but the difference between like one extra dollar in salary um, being worth like you know eight million real dollars, that's even even the very wealthy can see the 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 value in that um and to to the point of the trade deadline uh at the athletic coming up i believe tomorrow uh wrote a piece with sam vicini and daniel larue just just kind of doing a trade big board about which players are most likely to be dealt which ones are most likely to be impactful um again i don't foresee a lot of big moves happening. Uh, I talked with Danny Lurie yesterday uh, on, on this pod, and I think he brought up a really good stealth team that could have a move that would be very interesting, and that's that's Memphis, who are kind of ahead of schedule themselves. Um, obviously, John Morant, looking like an all-NBA first team or thereabout player this year, is kind of a big deal there. Um, and... But they're they're sort of well set up with without a ton of of long term money on on questionable players and, and some contracts to deal and some extra assets around. Um, in particular, they could you know combine Kyle Anderson and, and I don't know Dylan Brooks or, or or salaries of that nature if there was that that one guy out there who meaningfully moved things forward for them. But I don't know who that is. I mean, it's again like most teams, um, they could use a big wing, and there. Aren't aren't that many of those out there? Um, it seems like the only real difference making player that's even gotten mentioned uh, in in those kind of talks has been Jalen Brown, and it doesn't really doesn't really seem like there's a lot of fire there. It's it's sort of like, hey, Ben Simmons for Jalen Brown, that would make sense, yada yada yada, but um, doesn't doesn't seem like anything's especially realistic there. So again, I'm expecting a. Um, this is this is me doing reverse reverse psychologizing, right? Uh, I'm expecting a very quiet deadline just to um, make sure we have all the trades happen. Um, the last time everyone had kind of expected a quiet deadline was I think was it 2017 or 2018, the year the Cavs basically traded their whole team uh, except for LeBron and and Kyrie in about 15 minutes, and uh, <laughs> the trades started coming uh, rapidly after Woj just tweeted out just dear God, and that was the only thing he tweeted, and and then. 
Um, seemingly a quarter of the league changed hands in the in the last uh, 15 minutes or so before the deadline. But again, I'm really not expecting that to happen. And it's an interesting, uh, this being the second year of the plan system, I think it, that is going to keep shaking out to see a new equilibrium of what kinds of teams are willing to um, zig when others zag. Obviously, the Raptors um, could could pro- easily have pushed for the play-in game, I think, and they kind of decided to go the other way to their great benefit. Um, they were a better roster, a better team than usually gets to add a player of, of Scotty Barnes' caliber. Um, but by sort of making the choice that we don't care about, you know, one play-in game and then being an eight seed, um, they reap the benefits. And I think um, this year... Uh, Portland is maybe a team that's thinking that way. And on the other end, um, a team like Sacramento, who should be thinking that might not be because of their uh, long drought from the Um So, again, hey. Hey. My hey. God. No worries. What a... What a time to get a call from an NBA executive. Yeah. Well, that's the job. It happens. It happens. <laughs> it's first, first first time it's ha- first time it's happened to me on this show, but uh but uh it it was good good practice for thinking on my feet. So, uh without <laughs> yeah. further ado, uh the, the folks who who who've stuck around, thank you and people listening afterwards. Um I'm probably going to heavily edit that 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 uh, 20 minutes or so of vamping. Um uh, welcoming Sarah Todd. Uh, is it Deseret News? Deseret. Yeah, Deseret, Deseret News. Okay, that was I was saying Deseret. earlier. Yeah, I was saying earlier that's one of those words you written a lot that you just don't hear out loud, so you're never sure if you're actually saying it right. Um, Halcyon. Oh, that's surprising. Before Halcyon. I interviewed, before I interviewed for the job, I'd never even heard the word Deseret. So. Um, it, it was a new word in my vocab. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, again. It's like I've seen the name of the paper before. I just I'm like a, it, you just don't hear it spoken. Anyway, uh, jazz beat writer for the Desert News, uh, Sarah Todd, joining me. How are you doing, Sarah? Um, do you have any news to break for us? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I'm doing all right. Um, I'm, you know, kind of just like trudging through the month the way that the jazz are. So. Yeah, let's. I guess. I guess let's get right into that then. Um, what's going on with the Jazz? Well, they're four and twelve in the month of January. They lost five straight, eleven of thirteen. They've been playing without Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, on which their entire team is built. They've had guys in and out of COVID, and then uh, night before last, Joe Ingles uh, blew his knee out. His ACL is torn. And he's done for the year. So. Good times is what you're saying. Very good times yeah. about everything that could go wrong for them. Um, and then also on the, on the same night before Joe Torres ACL, uh, Quinn Snyder, their head coach, went into the health and safety protocol. And so did Daniel House, who they've got on a 10-day and they're trying to get a look at for a possible signing him for the rest of the season. So just everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for them. No, I, it was funny as you – like. Just before you you came back to us, I was talking about you know 
what we can tell from from certain bad stretches this year and i was remembering back to the start of the year when you know the uh, for the the bucks since i live in milwaukee and i went to a number of those games where the starting lineup would be like Giannis and the second best player would be jordan wara in the starting yeah. lineup and it's like what are we what are we learning about this like it's it's yeah. almost like okay if if the jazz don't have rudy gobert and donovan mitchell they won't be good in the playoffs I, I don't think like I don't think we needed this stretch to uh, to tell us that. No, and I think you know a lot of fans are getting so worried watching the Jazz, and they're like they just look awful. And it's like, well, yeah, they they are going to look bad if they don't have Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. There's no reason they should even look good without that. You know, Mike Conley is only one man, <laughs> and he can't do it all by himself. And it's just. That's not what the Jazz were built for. They weren't built to rely on the shoulders of Hassan Whiteside for 30 minutes. I mean, what team is? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but not wanting to extrapolate from this particular stretch, um, was, would, you, would you agree with me? Or it's just, is it just colored so much by this recent, this recent kind of very explainable period of... of uh, of uh, this very re- uh, period on the struggle bus that it did seem like there was a little bit of an, of an end of an era of this kind of cr- construction of the jazz going the whole, going for much of the year. Maybe it was, is almost a, like, I don't want to say last dance because that implies that, that too many, uh, um, probably too many memories for jazz fans, but also implies a level of kind of ultimate success that, they have they've never had but um did, does that does that make sense what i'm getting at like it did it just like a yeah. last chance this season yeah i think i mean whether or not they're gonna be able to like keep things going and keep sort of stuffing the roster around the edges of mitchell gobert and conley for the next couple of years like that's up for debate but I think when this season started, like we knew that this was going to be a season where the team would either look different at the trade deadline or by the time the season was over. And so, you know, the fact that Joe Ingles is now out for the year after a horrific knee injury, I, I, I assumed that the Jazz were watching his last days in a uniform anyways. I, I thought that he was probably the one that was on the chopping block for the trade deadline. And so... I think that he represents a lot about kind of this era of jazz because he's been here for eight years. And I think there's, there's going to be more turnover than, than what people are really going to expect, whether it's actually at the deadline this year or in the off season. So I completely see what you're talking about and, and the window that they had last year and the injuries that they suffered going into the playoffs, it was just, again, really bad timing for them. Speaking of bad timing, I mean, it seems like like a lot of teams have gone through this, not precisely this, but this this sort of thing. Like a lot of like, you know, the Bulls have had like the Bulls, tons of teams have had these stretches where it seems like nobody's available. Uh, it does seem like this is of the 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 teams that that would style themselves at the contender level. It does seem like the Jazz had the worst timing of it. Because of what you're saying, like they they were they were a team that was possibly going to to look to shake things up a little bit, except they don't know what there is to shake up because the last month has been sort of sort of punted. 
Yeah. And if the, you know, if the guy that you've been shopping around is now got a possibly career ending injury, then like that really changes what you're able to do next week. Right. And so I deals that were available to them are probably not available anymore. And they, they really have to, there's a lot of work that has to be done on, you know, behind the scenes over the next 10 days or so, because I think that there was probably already a lot of legwork that went into things that they maybe had lined up, but now can't complete. And so it's just, it's completely different outlook that they have to have and expectations too. Like everything has to change because if you aren't able to like look at the product on the floor for, you know, six weeks leading up to the trade deadline and one of the pieces that you were going to move to try to make the team look different, isn't actually like a, as valuable as a piece anymore, everything has to change. Yeah. And it's, you know, that you mentioned that, that, that the, 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 the career altering or, or possibly career, at least NBA career ending bar. It's, it is very, it's always, it's always sad to, to have to have to think about that for, from the player perspective that, you know, that, that it ends sort of that way, kind of completely out of your control. I mean, uh, on yeah. the day that, on the day that like Tom Brady you know, goes out on his on his own terms, it is. I know it is, it is a di- it is a di- dichotomy, I guess. Um, so what do you think they were? I mean, it, maybe it's it's purely hypothetical at this point, but what kind of 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 ideas were they they kicking around? I think for a number of years, like it's it's uh, hey, they need a they need a wing defender, has been sort of the obvious thing right. that, that many people have. Was that something they were looking to address or, or what do you think was on their minds, you know, prior yeah, to the last couple of days? Absolutely. Like wing defense is something that they want to address, but also I think kind of length and range. It's basically like, you know, what, what Joe Ingles could give you when he was younger, right? Is defense, uh, lateral quickness, but also, you know, when you're going up against teams that just keep rolling out guys that are, you know, six, eight and have big wingspans and they've got these rosters and you've got Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, like you need to have some range that you can play with and like plug into the roster. I think that's why Daniel house was like an intriguing guy for them to bring in on a 10 day. I honestly expect for them to sign him for the rest of the season. Um, But guys like Josh Richardson, Robert Covington, like those are names that have come up of what the jazz might've been kind of shopping and looking around at. And it makes sense. Cause it's like the jazz don't need guys who can come in and like score 20 a night because they've got those guys. They got, they need guys in that are going to kind of like disrupt, but also demand respect. Sure. And uh, you know, address some of the, some of the, the issues we've seen for them defensively in the playoffs the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and the the issues there are, you know, it's easy for, I mean, I'm sure, you know, it's easy for everyone to point at the fact that, like, Rudy Gobert uh, isn't great playing out in, but, like, I mean, the numbers bear out that, like, he actually is pretty good at that. But when you have three other guys on the perimeter that can't hold the point of attack, uh, he can't clean up three messes at one time. And so they, they have to, they have to shore up that defense. I will. Uh, I will spare everyone another 
Rudy Gobert <laughs> rant from from myself. I think I w- I think that anyone familiar with me is well aware of of, yeah. <laughs> of my of my thoughts on that topic. But yeah, no, I like I I agree with you. Um. So we, if if one of those moves are now, I don't want to say off the table, but less on the table. Um, is this, is this a team that that sort of as is? How do they feel about going into the playoffs? Okay, they say they 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 sign they sign house for the the rest of the season, and maybe they they pick up a guy on the on the buyout market or something like that. Right? Is, is this a, is how do they in their heart of hearts? How do they feel going into this postseason? Is it like maybe it'll work this time, or is it same bullshit? I think that they they as a team are probably more confident in that scenario than I am. I think that. Like they think, you know, if we're all got our minds on right, that we can, we can beat anyone. We can do it. For me, it's like, you have to have a lot of luck of the draw and a lot of things really fall your way. If the jazz as is go into the playoffs, because they're, they're definitely not matchup proof. And you you just have to be perfectly healthy and you have to kind of get the right matchups and maybe get lucky by other guys on other teams missing a couple games here and there. And I think that's that you might bring up that's the one of the things they might actually have going for them is is the western conference is I think as weak as it's been at the top. Right. I mean, as long as I can remember. And which which almost makes the like the 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 uh inability to make that one move even sort of more galling because it seems like it would have been more lined up for them than ever before. Yeah. I think that, you know, if they were able to bring in someone that could actually make a difference for them on the defense, that it would have put them in such a nice position. I mean, especially if you're coming out of kind of like the rough stretch and like everything going wrong that they have, and you're still like in fourth, fifth in the West, and then you're able to like bolster the roster. I think that looks pretty good for a team in the West, especially one that, you know, I think I think that Rudy and Donovan are honestly better than people generally think they are. And I think that if they went into the playoffs with even more confidence, like if, if they come out of this, they're fourth or fifth in the West, and then they go on a run towards the end of the season with a couple of guys that they picked up at the deadline and they're feeling really good. I think that gives them a really good chance in the West that's really beat up right now. And like, there's questions on every team, but if they come out of, you know, a week, January fourth or fifth in the West, they're not able to make the deal that makes the difference. Maybe they fall into sixth, seventh and they have to deal with the play in. I think that 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 starts to, put too many variables in it for this team so let's let's take that sort of that that glass half empty view because i think um i i surmise from how you answered that question that you kind of think that that's that whether it's it's they they fall back or it just they get in the playoffs and sort of the same issues rear their heads again what next like what where do you where do they go from there like at that point something like we there has to be a retooling doesn't there yeah and like i i don't know exactly where the retooling starts and ends because do you consider trading like a large building piece away from the team and actually like rebuilding around something else do you do you look at the fact that you know cuz right now before this season i think that it 
Quinn Snyder has been viewed as incredibly respected, as he should be, but he's also not a guy who's really had a healthy playoff roster. And so if the Jazz do go in healthy with the the things that they need, but they still can't get it done past the first or second round, then do you look at whether or not you keep Quinn Snyder around? Um, and so there's wild. just, yeah, I know. <laughs> but like, I mean, there's just a lot of ways that it could be looked at about where you start to rebuild and where you finish the rebuild. And so... And with the Jazz, the entire team and everything has been completely built around Rudy and Donovan. And so if you're going to change things, it's it would require changing dramatically. Otherwise, you're just putting other guys around Rudy and Donovan. Right. So, I mean, I, it seems like we're dancing around a little bit, but let's 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 go there. I mean, it's yeah. the, the, the rumor mill is what it is. And, and, you know, one or both guys, like, What's what? What is the what is the sort of the the read from the ground about how everyone's feeling? Is I, I'm sure everyone's sort of saying that they're fully focused this year and yada yada yada. But you know, guys don't get this far into their their career without w- without you know thinking a little bit longer term as well. Especially this part of the year when like what else are you? <laughs> you know, it's 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 four months to the playoffs, so you you can think about a lot of things now. Yeah, I mean, I guess because you're you're right. Like everyone says the things that they're supposed to say, so no no one's going to come out and just you know say exactly what they're thinking. Everyone's going to be like very politically correct when they're answering questions about their NBA career while they're under contract, right? But I guess personality wise, like Rudy and Donovan are both guys who get very very pissed off about not winning, and they like are guys who react quickly too. And so, you know, it wouldn't a hundred percent surprise me if another loss makes one or both of them like rethink things, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they, if they keep getting to like the precipice of sort of breaking through to the Western conference finals, if that's enough to actually like keep them engaged too. And so it could go either way. But for the front office, I, I don't, I don't know. It feels like they're, it feels like they're so so committed to working that I don't know what a plan would look like if they had to be without Donna Rudy. So that's it's it's. I, I, correct me if I'm if I'm reading incorrectly between the lines, but that's thing that they're going to have to be pushed to do rather than looking to do proactively. It feels like it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think that's a good, good jumping off point to, um, to that, because that, that's sort of of a piece with the sort of the, the, the jazz, um, ethos for the last, who knows how many years. Um, certainly they were one of the most stable franchises in the league, you know, with, with, when they're owned by the Miller family. And this isn't to say that they're like some chaotic, like, you know, bunch of people running around, you know, different agenda, leaking stuff to them. Like, you know, all we, we know, we know what those teams look like and that's not where, where the jazz are in any shape, but it is a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a new era with, you know, with, with the new ownership. And obviously, you know, he's brought in uh, um, Dwayne Wade and, and, and Danny Ainge. And, and so they're just, it's, it's a different, environment 
So I'm wondering if, if do you think they're still going to operate in the similar ways or is it going to be actually um, a, I don't know, more reactive isn't, isn't the right word, a more active approach than necessarily they've taken over the last, I don't want to three, four decades almost. Right. Of jazz I mean, basketball. I think, I think that's the, the hope, right. Is that, is that maybe like, you know, well, the new, the new captains in the yeah. ship, they, they don't wait around and hold on to pieces until they're not valuable or they don't wait until, or that loyalty doesn't guide them over, over business decisions. Right. I think that that's probably from the outside is the hope, but, Honestly, Seth, if I'm being honest, I don't know how things are going to work here because it it's all so new and so weird. Like, I don't know what CEO of basketball means. I right. I don't I didn't know that when they hired Danny Ainge, when they when we asked the question in his introductory press conference, there wasn't really an answer to the question. I don't know who's the guy that makes the call to Ryan Smith. I don't know if Ryan Smith's in the room when the call is being made. I, I don't know like how the order of operation works. And it's really like a, a weird place for me to be in, like as a reporter who covers a team and to not know how that works. I mean, is it, I mean, is it that you don't know how it works or they don't know how it works? I don't know. It might be both. I think yeah. it might be both because it kind of feels like, like in media, right? Like whenever someone new gets hired and there's like a new title, they just come in and they say like a bunch of SEO terms. And it's like, okay, well, I really don't know what that person's job is. And I don't think that they know who they answer to or what their job is either. But cool, they got a job and a title. It feels a lot like that with the jazz right now. Like, I don't know who does what, and I don't 100% know if they know how it's going to work moving forward. Yeah, no, it's it's sort of the, we, we, we kind of calibrated to title infl- inflation for, like, the Pobo job, President of Basketball Operations job, so that, like, I, we we now still colloquial, colloquially, excuse me, call those people the uh the gm still like okay like like right daryl morey is the gm of the philadelphia 76ers even though like he does not actually have the general manager so like it's almost like who is the gm who's the shot caller for utah right now and and it sounds like you don't know maybe they don't know and that's weird right like i i think that that's it's fine, like, because Ryan Smith, what he wants for people to believe is that, you know, Justin Zanuck and Danny Ainge are there to work collaboratively. And, like, I totally understand, especially from, like, a startup tech bro perspective, wanting to have that kind of feeling in a basketball front office. But, like, at the end of the day, at the end of a season, if if decisions – if bad decisions were made or decisions were made that didn't work out. One person falls on the sword. If somebody falls on a sword at all, like people, people don't fire collective groups of front offices. And so like the, there is a pecking order, whether they want there to be or not. Yeah. No, this is, this is a weird one for me to observe from the outside. Just, I mean, I, you know, it's probably, started with like full disclosure i worked for justin's attic for a year and i think incredibly right. highly of him so it's 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 sort of weird to weird to 
to see this from the outside and, and, you know, what do I know? But if like, if, if there is someone I know who could, who you could see working in a collaborative environment, like he, he certainly has the comportment to do that, but that's, you know, it's from the outside and, and it's, it, you just, you're, if you're not in the room, you don't know how it works. So, right. It, and it like, could it, work, it, it could work. That's right. Like maybe this, maybe this is a new era of like way that NBA teams are run. But, like, I think it's – I look at it as the same as, like, a team that hasn't proven themselves on the court. It's like, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, right? Right. And it's it, – yeah. And it's just it's just very different from, from how, like and, – and, you you know, you, you were mentioning earlier that, that, like, people from the outside are hoping there's going to be a new aggressiveness. And I'm – well, it's worked pretty well for right. – like, like, sort of the, the – the, the sort of – you might call it stodgy, but that they – like – it's, a, it's an organization that for being in a small, not completely desirable market has had a tremendous amount of success, even if they've fallen short of actually winning a title. Like this has been a, by and large, a very successful team for a number of years. So that's not something to, you know, you don't have to go that far to get to Sacramento. <laughs> and, right. And, and, you know, and, 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 you know, in a situation where in the past it has been, a lot of kind of that backbiting and, and, and agenda driving. So it's, it's a, maybe a little bit of a careful what you wish for. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and I think that's the thing is in general, like from a fan perspective, I think in general, it's like, you don't really know what you're wishing for, right? You're, you're wishing for a title, but like what, how the meat is made is that's never really a part of the wish. But as someone who covers the team, like how the meat is made is such an integral part of it that um, it just has me on edge. <laughs> right. So th- that's an interesting, I guess, an interesting transition to covering a team, one team closely in kind of over the, the last two years. And it's, it, I mean, you're a pretty perfect person to talk to about this since like you were kind of, you were there, you were, you're at ground zero for for like this this era of of NBA right of right and um how is how much more challenging is it to get a feel for these things now than it would have been two years ago oh it's it is so much more challenging because it's so different when you know during the course of a single game night you can sit at a guy's locker and talk to him or stay after the game in the locker room and talk to a guy or in the, you know, in the tunnels at the arena, you talk to one executive or you talk to another and with the distance that's required and like so much of it being virtual before this season. I mean, we were literally only virtual last season and it made it just impossible to like create or build on relationships and like so much of doing this job is about relationships. And so it's really hard to actually do that when you're just a face on a screen and you're not an actual person. Because, you know, when you're getting to know guys and you're gaining their trust, it's not just about like talking about like, oh, how did it go in the game tonight during that run when you started to take over? You like you talk about your lives and like you share things so that you can build trust. And you can't you cannot do that via Zoom. Right. Like how like how are you doing or how are you doing are yeah. like, two kind of very different questions and and like yeah. 
you, you, you like it's kind of it's weirdly intense to how are you doing over a right. Zoom. Um, but if it's you know if you're just if you're chatting, you can you can you can do that a little better. Um, yeah. So from a from a standpoint of your job, like, does that make like feeding the content monster all that much harder, or are are you like have you been do you find that you've been able to be a, a touch on some creative ways of of telling new stories um, out of necessity? Yeah, part of it part of it out of necessity, I guess. Like being able to actually find a story and find a way to tell it. Uh, while everything was virtual and while you couldn't like build or make those relationships that was satisfying, but it was also like so exhausting and, and so monotonous that, you know, you get two good stories and you're like, okay, well now, now I'm just sick of doing it. And it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same thrill that it does when like, you're kind of on the ground on the beat, you know? And I, I just, it, I think that it's gotten to the point for myself and I think a lot of other local reporters who cover a team that it's just like, we want to get back to normal so bad because it doesn't feel like the content has been as good. It maybe feeding the content monster has been about the same. Cause like you can churn out content if you want to, but it, it doesn't feel good. Like it doesn't, I know, I know that my coverage has not been as good since COVID hit. And I just have to like be okay so with that until it can get better. I, so I'll give you a chance to to maybe caveat that last statement. Is there is there are there any like is there a story or two that that you kind of that you you ingenuitied your way to that you're like yeah that was a great idea that that worked well. Is there are there any that you, like a story or two that you're particularly proud of that kind of came out of necessity? Yeah. So last year the jazz hired Keon dueling as an assistant coach. And I I obviously couldn't talk to him in person and I couldn't talk to anybody else connected to Keon in person, but the, the entirety of the NBA was on zoom, which created sort of a unique chance for you. Like I could watch post-practice interviews for the Miami heat while being in Utah. Right. And that's not a thing that anybody could have done before. And so I thought, like, if I can just get as many people on Zoom from, like, practices or even post-game or pre-game interviews that know Keon, then, like, this is my only chance to do it, short of, like, waiting a year and waiting until I fly into those cities, right? And so, I mean, I got Stan Van Gundy, Doc Rivers, Ty Lu, J.J. Redick, you know, the people that mean the absolute most to Keon Dooling to talk to me about him. And I just wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for the zoom era. And it was, and it was out of necessity because it was the only way that I could talk to them. Uh, and it actually turned out to be a really great story though. <laughs> not a lot of people read it because, you know, a lot of people were also like tuned out last year. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is like I'm I'm asking you to get yourself in trouble, so uh, feel right. free to demur. But <laughs> um, what would you say? It, it, there is a worry. I've ta- like ta- I'm I'm thankful that I've never had to you know do this daily because it seems daunting to me. I'm I'm way too much of a perfectionist to have to 
to, to put out written content every day. Um, <laughs> but but um, there's a worry that like some of the controls, shall we say, that that the Zoom era has provided to 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 teams uh, in the in the in the guise of protecting players, I guess. I don't even know what the rationale is at this point. Um, but there, that there's going to be a move to try to keep that as permanent as possible and, and kind of reduce outside access and make much, as much of the, the stories of the team almost state media. Um, first of all, is that something you're worried about? Second of all, like, what would you, what would you, you know, if you were, you know, talking to the NBA czar of access, say why this is a bad idea. Assuming, assuming you think it's a bad idea, which I think is a fair assumption. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assumption. You're not <laughs> going to get me in trouble at all. I'm totally willing yeah. to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, 100%, that's a fear. I, it's, I mean, the writers, when we talk about what the future looks like, we're scared about it every day because it feels like we're getting closer and closer to the fact like to the a situation where the NBA says, well, we're just not going to bring back locker room access. And like from the outside, I can totally understand why people wouldn't think that's a big deal, but it's such a big deal in my world because some of the most meaningful converse- conversations, the best networking, the like most intriguing and most important stories that I've ever written have come late night after the cameras are gone sitting at a guy's locker and just talking to him for a few minutes. Like uh, this is not about like trying to invade their personal space. This is about actually covering the league the way that it should be covered. And it's a complete fear that, you know, the distance that was created when it went completely virtual, uh, we we're getting incremental amounts of that distance back, but it has not gone back to normal. And so it's a complete fear that it wouldn't. And I mean, I guess, I guess that if I'm the talking to the, the czar of access, as you called it, which is funny because like, I do talk to those people. (laughs) Um, I, uh, is that the title? And if it's not their title, why isn't it their title? It's not the title, title. but it absolutely should be. (laughs) Um, I guess I would just say that, you know, it's, this is an the NBA is a business and it's generated by revenue and revenue comes from fans and fans love things because of stories and you're not going to get stories the way that you would if you keep us away from the players. I, yeah, I, I often feel like that. And this was something I felt kind of on the team side is that like, there's sort of a, a, a certain like control secrecy, um, became its own goal rather than like right. an instrumental goal and something. And it's, it's a little bit like, guys, what are we doing here? Yeah. Like, like they've, they've already cut us off. Like, you know, something that maybe like a well, maybe the casual fan would know is that uh, reporters used to be able to watch NBA practices. And uh, that hasn't been a thing in quite a few years now. Now we are only allowed into a gym at the last 10 to 15 minutes of practice which has gone from being actual parts of practice to now it's just they let us in the room when practice is over and they're shooting individually at baskets. That's the only part we get to watch now. So like 
incrementally it has gone down from being able to watch a full practice to only being allowed to watch a guy shoot a basketball by himself. Right. And it's like, you know, for, again, this, this, this is silly because yeah, um, it's, like, between, it's not between, like we're going to be learning any secrets or like, it, no, between advanced scouts and, and yeah. video, it's just like, yeah. you know, there's the half the point guards in the league are calling out offensive sets as the other teams dribbling the ball up the floor because exactly. everyone knows what everyone's running every time. So it's like, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a, a paranoia that is like, you know, self, self harmful almost. Yeah. It's like, yes, we had a draft workout. No, we're not going to tell you who was there. Yeah. Like, but, but we want to know, we want to tell us more about your team. We're interested. I'm going to yeah. buy a ticket if I, anyway. It's, it's, and the secrecy like has, has trickled down too, to the point where like exactly to what you were just saying, if you talk to like draft prospects now and you say like, Hey, which teams have you worked out with? Some of the guys will be like, Oh, I don't want to say, it's like, why not? <laughs> Why not? Like, yeah, no, it's like no, it's oh yeah, I you know I, I know I'm 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 twelfth on the mock draft, but I worked out for the seventh team. It's like ooh, yeah, well, oh, <laughs> oh, let's let's take another look at this guy. He's a uh, if, if other people are yeah, I just I I I don't get it. It's 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 everything from from that kind of access you're talking about to being um, I don't know, abstruse about what's the word I'm looking for being uh, vague and evasive on injury reports. It's like, no, we want to know, like, we are the people who give you money. We want to know about what's happening. Let yeah, us exactly. engage with you. Like, and it just, <laughs> no, no, you don't get to know that. No, no, no. Yeah. It's like, what? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if, as so long as we don't turn into, you know, NHL where it's just lower body injury. They don't even specify like an extremity anymore in the NHL. It's just upper body or lower body. Well, there's also, I mean, for a while there was like, it was actually, you'd kind of go opposite quarter. Like if it's it's a lower left, lower left leg injury means his right shoulder is hurt. Right. (laughs) But that, I mean, at least like, honestly, in like a, like in hockey in like a playoff series that actually makes some instrumental sense. Right. Because sure. hockey player is going to play through it. He says, oh, his, his left ankle is is but well, you know, not that anyone right. would, not that anyone would tap a guy in the ankle with a stick or anything in a playoffs. But so that <laughs> I at least that at least bears some resemblance to something that that could be competitively. Yeah, anyway. that's true. You, I I'm sorry. I've 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 used you to go off on on my own rant here. But, no, uh, you're fine. <laughs> but appreciate that. Um, so something completely different. Um, or maybe not completely different, just uh, like a, um, we were talking earlier, sort of a life in the NBA thing. You are a dog owner, except when you're not. Yeah, and except when is, I'm not. It, so this is, I think this is illustrative of something about kind of the NBA and professional sports life and, you know, why it might not always be all it's cracked up to be. So how does one own pets during a basketball season? How does one I mean, care for pets? My assumption is that you have to be married <laughs> in order to own a pet and to cover the NBA or to at least have someone that you live with that can be like a built-in pet sitter. Because as a single person, I had a dog and when I was living in California and I wasn't traveling regularly, that worked. And then when I moved to Philadelphia, and was going to be traveling more. And then when I'm in Utah and I'm traveling full time, uh, it just doesn't work because, you know, you might think 41 games 
on the road, well, that that actually usually leads to, you know, somewhere around 120 days on the road because it's day before and day after and the travel in between. And it depends on, you know, if there's a couple days between games on the road or how many days it takes to get back from somewhere. And and those are not fun trips where you get to like see the sights it's grueling hard travel that is often done sleeplessly and that just doesn't like you can't just come into town and be home for one day and take care of a dog and then leave for three days and then come back for two days and then leave for 10 days it's and that's what the schedule is like and so my dog lives uh, with my mother in California and I got a second dog to keep her company while she's there. Um, my parents were able to bring the dog out to me during the off season um, a little bit early when COVID hit. But then because of the irregular schedule, I haven't been able to have my dog during the off seasons in the last two years. So it's been owning a, owning a pet. I, I don't know how anyone does it full time unless they love paying boarding costs. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, this was, this was kind of jumping on the NBA lifestyle as someone with, you know, with already with two kids was, was, I think it's not the same because like you said, you know, there's a partner to help with that, but it's, uh, yeah. It's not easy. <laughs> no, it's, it, it is, it is, uh, it, it's, it's really, it's, it's, uh, you know, I don't, it's, it's quite shocking. It's a shock to the system to, to have to, to the, the lifestyle is, you know, you hear about it and you can intellectual, oh, you're traveling a lot and you're staying in hotels and yada, yada, yada. But until you actually experience it, it's, it's, and that's not even, not even traveling all the time, just like going to 41 home games and working the hours and stuff. Anyway, I'm, yeah, it's a uh, lot. Once again, I, I'm using you to complain again. So sorry about that. Oh, I love um, them. These are my complaints. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll finish you off here. And if, if, if the folks who are listening have any, any questions for Sarah, uh, please jump in, but I'll, we'll finish off by, I'll just go wild card and uh, any one topic you want to talk about, um, whether NBA or otherwise, um, I'm going to completely spring this on you here. Um, you, this is great because I, something already came to mind. Uh, you know, uh, because we're friends that I do not watch movies <laughs> and, Correct. um, not because I don't like movies. I just have never seen most movies that anyone else has seen. And, uh, during, during that first year of the pandemic, you told me to watch the movie rear, uh, rear window. Yes. And I did watch it and it was so good. I loved it so much and I'm so happy that I did. And so now I'm looking for other movie recommendations from Seth Partnow. Oh boy. Uh, so this, so uh, time period or genre or any of those kind of restrictions are just like free, free flow. It. No restrictions. I want to watch a good movie. Uh, first movie that comes to mind is the third man. The Third Man. I've never yeah. even heard of this. It's, so it's it's a movie that came out in around 1950. I want to say uh, it's it's black and white. It's kind of post World War II, set in I believe Vienna, um, and it's 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 sort of a it's 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 noirish, um, but it's it's um, it is fantastic. Uh, has one of the great movie soundtracks of all time, and has Ooh. probably the most famous character entrance 
in the history of, of at least of American cinema. Oh, I'm very so excited about that. So that's, that's one. And like, um, if, for anyone that like might not know, like the, the amount that I don't watch movies is also last legendary. year I watched, I watched, um, last year for the first time I watched both Jurassic Park for the first time. And I watched, um, Oh shit. Now I can't remember the name of it. What's the one with Tom? You can't handle the truth. Oh, few good men. Few good men. Yeah, I watched that for the first time, and then when that line came up, I was like, "That's what this is from." Like, <laughs> I didn't even—I don't know the cultural touch points of movies at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see. For we can go genre by genre here. So, uh, action. Uh, the two I would recommend are you have to have seen. Please tell me you've seen Die Hard. I have not seen Die Hard. <laughs> Okay, well, obviously that hard. But the other one is, I mean, that, that, that can fill in for either either action movie or Christmas movie, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the other action movie that I would rec- recommend is Tombstone. Um, it's, uh, um, the, the, you're from the, so you, 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 so the Tombstone, Arizona might be. Um, but it's, it's, it's why it's sort of the, the very stylized Wyatt Earp story. Um, it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Are you are you in in like? There are some people who are particularly anti Tom Cruise. Are you? You don't see, you don't see movies, so you wouldn't be. You wouldn't have. An, yeah, I loved. Way. I loved. Um, I haven't seen any movies, so I don't have a ton of opinions. But I did love A Few Good Men, and I loved um, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, so two Tom Cruise movies I'd recommend would be Minority Report and Edge of Tomorrow. So uh, Minority Report is more of a of a of a kind of a thriller. Uh, drama, and I guess Edge of Tomorrow is a is a is actually one of the more the clever action movies of the last um, I don't know how long. Um, last one I'll leave you with. I guess I'm just going like I'm I'm just I'm, I guess I'm running down the list of like action bro movies, and I don't know why because that's not like always my like th- that's not always my my list. But th- th- these are just the ones that come to mind. Is uh, great. There's a movie called Master and Commander. Um, which is uh, based on there's a uh, I don't know how many novels maybe twenty novels um, of, about uh, um, by the same author about kind of a, a British sea captain in I want to say the early the mid 1700s um, and it's starring Russell Crowe and and Paul Bettany and it is. Um, that are they're on a boat that during like a, a war between the British and the French because that's what happened all the time then it was during the Napoleonic Wars actually come to think of it um, so I guess it, I guess it would have been eighteen hundred ish but it's 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 I'm doing a terrible sales job but it's it's fantastic I think it's I think it's Russell Crowe's best best movie I'm so, not supposed to I'm not supposed to watch Gladiator if I'm going to watch a Russell Crowe movie because I haven't seen that one either <laughs> I'm glad no Gladiator's great. Gladiator is probably his most famous, but but I think again, if I'm if I'm you know if I'm having to pick, um, uh, Master and Commander, and now that now that we've, we, it, I've got one more for you also, just because I wouldn't be able to to, to make re- movie recommendations without going Michael Mann, but another Tom Cruise movie, uh, Collapse, um, which is um, ah. Uh, I don't know what to say about it that old. That uh, it, it's basically about a 
driver who picks up an interesting couple of, of fares in L.A. kind of one night and um, mayhem ensues, but it's really well done. Another movie with great soundtrack and just beautifully shot and, and kind of L- probably never looked like better, I think, than, than it does in this movie. So, well, what I've learned um, is that you love that was Tom five Cruise. Or six that's what you're saying. Yeah, that's what you're I, saying no, is that I, you well, love Tom Cruise. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm, I'm surprised as anyone that, that like Tom Cruise came up as much as he did in those <laughs> Those were just sort of great off the cuff. No, and, and also trying for someone who like who doesn't watch movies. So I like, yeah. I have to make I have to make sure they're good and enjoyable because otherwise, like, you might never watch a movie again. Yeah, that might be the end of it. Done. You might you might end Sarah Todd's movie watching career. <laughs> yeah. But so the one I'll, the one I will stand on the table for without hesitation is Third Man. Watch that Third Man. Get back to me. All right, you, it's yeah. it's officially on the watch list. Cool. <laughs> well, yeah. I, 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 a, first of all, I appreciate you, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you staying on a little bit longer and, uh, and, um, uh, yeah. Um, what well, maybe pro- perhaps we'll do this again sometime as we approach the playoffs and, uh, and the, uh, the jazz are, are in some kind of way or another. So we can uh, talk about what to expect in the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to come on whenever and, uh, uh, this was you know, nice. It was nice to catch up and hear your voice, and also yeah. nice to talk some basketball. Yeah, you know what? Actually, you, you know you know why you really have to come on is I need to get movie reviews from you. Yeah, so we'll I do, mean, for, we'll if do nothing half, else, half preview and half movie reviews. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Half half reviews by a critic who's never seen a movie. <laughs> they're the worst reviews ever, but they're necessary. <laughs> right. All right. Thank you so much. No problem. Have a good night, Sarah. You too.